Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors, and just so good to be with you today. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week, and so I encourage you to take that out, if you will, and then if you're all ready to go, we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray together. Father, we're just excited to be here to be continuing this series and pursuing you to understand your calling, your vision for our lives, what it looks like to listen and follow and and to discover that plan that you've created for us before time. And so we pray that as we come today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in power, um, that he would hover over this room as he hovered over that first creation, and he would call forth beautiful things uh, and create beautiful things in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Well, our story starts today in a small town. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many of you grew up in a small town. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But uh, he grew up in a, in a small town. And so uh, in this town, everyone knows him. And honestly, he's one of the stars of the town. He's, he's a young man, um, but he's always been, from the time he was sort of a golden boy. He grew up uh, in one of the wealthier families uh, in the city. And uh, everyone knows him. He's got a great reputation. Uh, for integrity and character. He's been extremely successful. And so if you were to ask anyone, he's one of the young eagles of their, of their community. And because of that, he's risen, although he's young, to a place of, of significant leadership in the community. Um, and so from the outside, everything looks great. But if we were somehow be able to kind of peel back uh, that, that outer skin, so to speak, have a window into his soul, what we'd see on this particular day is that He's deeply disturbed that something has happened in the last couple days that has just rocked his world and has led to a a deep uh, psychological, emotional, spiritual crisis. And uh, so that's why on this particular day, as we watch him in his house, that when he gets the word, that uh, when he hears the news, he instantly gets up, grabs his things, and he begins to run through the streets of the city that he knows so well. Well, today we are continuing this series that we started a couple weeks ago called Serving Sacrificially, uh, Discovering Your Purpose. And if you're brand new, um, sort of the, uh, the idea behind this series is that we're, what we're doing in this series is we're taking a journey together as a church. And, and, the, and the goal of this journey is to discover God's purpose, his vision for all of our lives, and his specific plans, uh, assignments, calling for each of our lives. Now, if you've been the last, here the last couple of weeks, we've been laying the foundation for this series. The first two weeks have been foundational. This will be the third kind of foundational week. Next week, we'll begin uh, diving in deeper to see how God has been shaping us over the course of our life to, for this purpose he's created us for. But the last two weeks, we've been laying a foundation. So if you were here two weeks ago, you know that we started off by, by discovering together that according to Scripture, it's very clear that that if you're a follower of Jesus, God has chosen you before time, and he's chosen you uh, not only to be forgiven, not only to be uh, adopted into part of his his family, but he's chosen you to play a significant role in this epic vision God has for all creation, to bring all creation healed and restored under the leadership of his son, King Jesus. 
And that on top of that, he's been shaping you and I our whole lives to carry out this unique role. Uh, And then last week, we learned that if we're going to discover and carry out this specific vision God has for our lives, that we, we need to enter into a supernatural transformation process, where as we listen and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're transformed to be like Jesus, so we have the capacity to carry out this vision and to live a life of love that leads to a life of sacrificial service in all spheres of our life. You remember that? Not, not just uh, like out there, but in the commonplace of everyday life, uh, in the new community of King Jesus, and then out in culture at large. And so today we're going to learn kind of the next step, that, that if we want to be transformed, if we want to discover God's vision for our life, we want to carry that out, that we have to learn Uh, how to take an important step, a critical step that I'm describing as the step of surrender. And so this this third message is going to kind of wrap up these foundational lessons that we need to understand if we're going to be transformed, become the people created to be, so we have the capacity to carry out God's vision. So I want to uh, begin to unpack this. So there on your note sheet, you have a section called Serving Sacrificially, the Step of Surrender. So let's jump in and talk about this, uh, this important step. So as I said, you know, last week that we learned that if we're going to be, uh, carry out God's purpose for our life, we have to be transformed to become like Jesus. So we have this capacity to carry out God's vision. And once again, just like last week, it raises the question, well, if, if the whole vision is for us to be transformed to be like Jesus, what was Jesus like? Who was he? Uh, what drove him? What was the driving purpose uh, of passion of his life? And if you've studied the life of Jesus, you know this becomes very clear, very fast, that Jesus, kind of the driving passion of Jesus' life was to please his Father, to carry out the assignment that God had given him, and by doing this, to bring God glory. For example, it's not on your note sheet, but in John 17, at the end of his life, he's praying that last night before he's arrested, and he said, I have brought you glory by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And so for Jesus, pleasing his father, carrying out his father's purpose in such a way that brought the father glory, this was the top passion of his life, right? Now, I don't know about you, but this is not naturally the top passion of my life. Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, I was born into Adam's fallen race. Now, maybe you're different Uh, But for me, um, like what comes naturally is seeking my own will, seeking my own glory, uh, seeking my own purpose. Probably none of you can relate to that. But uh, so as part of Adam's fallen race, we are all born uh, not with this natural passion that Jesus had to live for his father, to please him. We're, we're born with this natural passion to live for ourselves and to use God to accomplish our purpose. And here's what I want you to catch. If we are going to carry out God's purpose in our life, we have to be transformed at a core level so we're like Jesus. And our top joy in life is not to live for our pleasure, but to live for his pleasure. Are you with me? Now, the New Testament talks about this a lot. This is actually why Jesus came. 
not just to forgive us for what we've done, but to change us into who, who he is. Uh, and, uh, there's many, of course, passages we could go to on this, but I want to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians. For those of you who were here last year, uh, we did a series called Metamorphosis on 2 Corinthians. This was from that passage. Uh, it's in chapter 5, and it's there in your note sheet. And the question is that Paul is responding to is, uh, uh, Paul, why are you willing as an apostle of Jesus to constantly be persecuted, be thrown into jail, be arrested, be beaten, have your life in danger. Why are you willing to do that? And the answer Paul gives is here in this passage, and he says this is why he says Christ's love compels us. This is about the love of Jesus. This is what drives us. And he said because we're convinced that one died for all. Now, that goes to the heart of the gospel, does it not? He says, we're convinced that one died for all. If you were uh, to ask most Christ followers, hey, what is the gospel of Jesus about? Can you explain to me what the gospel is? I think most of us would say, and this would be accurate, that the gospel is about Jesus dying for us so that we could be forgiven and restored to God, right? We would say, hey, the gospel is about one who died for all. Are you with me? But what I want to suggest today is that is not the gospel. Or let me put it this way, it is not the whole gospel. That it is the first half of the gospel, as we'll see. Because Paul goes on and he says, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all in the gospel, and therefore all what? Died. And he says, and he died for all. So why did Jesus die? He died for all that those who live should no longer what? There's the gospel, right? See, why did Jesus die? He, he died, the first half of the gospel is he, one died for all so we could be forgiven and restored to God, but he didn't just die so that we could be forgiven and stay who we are. He died for all so that we would finally have the power to die to our old, self-absorbed, self-indulgent, self-focused life. You see, that, that as part of Adam's fallen race, we all have this natural affinity, natural met to live for myself, for my glory, for my purpose. I want to use God to advance my purpose. And it's all backwards. We were created for love. We were created to love God and others. We were created to naturally seek to please our Father and to love others, but something has gone desperately wrong. And so Jesus has come to die, not simply so we could be forgiven, but so we could be transformed to be like him, to where our top passion in life is no longer to live for ourselves, but for the one who created us, who loves us, and who died for us. Amen? Amen? And so look what he says. He says, he died for all. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this is the gospel. 
This is why Jesus came. And so what I want you to catch is unless we are transformed at a core level, so that our new passion in life is to live for God's name, God's fame, his glory, his purpose, and that is our passion as it was for Jesus, we can never really carry out God's vision for our life because we can't be living for his purpose when we're trying to use God to live for our purpose. Are you with me? And so this is a supernatural transformation that has to come clear. Now, as always, Jesus shows us the path and how to do this. And so if you were to study the life of Jesus, he was constantly saying this, that his joy was to live for his father. You know, John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his assignment. Uh, John 5, I always do what pleases him. I mean, this is who Jesus was. But he models this most clearly to us on the very last night of his life. So if you remember this, and it's a familiar scene, if you're a longtime believer, uh, this would be very familiar. For Brad new at this, I'll kind of paint the picture. But on the very last night of his life, Jesus is as knows he's going to be arrested. And so that night after the Passover meal, he leads his men outside the city walls of Jerusalem a short distance up a little uh, hill there that's called the Mount of Olives. And uh, he leads them to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it's not like our garden. It's not like an English garden. It's like an Israeli garden. Right? So it's like, you know, lots of olive trees and that sort of thing. And Jesus would often spend the night there with his men. They would often go to their prayer. Familiar ground. And so they go there. Now, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be arrested. And then he's going to be interrogated. And in the process, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, and then he's going to be nailed to a Roman cross, right? So he knows what's coming his whole life. He's kind of known this is coming. Um, he's even told his disciples several times, this is coming. Um, and so he knows what's coming, and he doesn't want to go through with it. He doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And so in that garden... He goes to spend three, three times of prayer, like extended sessions with the Father. And basically, he's pleading with the Father. If there's any way out, if there's any way around this, I, I want to take it. Is there any way out? And so you may remember this scene. It's very intense where it's always like blood, sweat, and tears. He's, he's crying. Uh, he's begging his Father. It's very intense. Um, but every time he prays this, he adds something at the end. And they're critical words. He's kind of showing us how to take that step of surrender. That's so critical if we're going to be transformed. And many will remember this well, this, these words. He says, but not my will, but yours, right? And so Jesus is, this is how you take that step of surrender. Uh, Jesus is radically honest. He's not pretending. He's being radical. This is what I want. But he says, but... What's most important to me in life is not what I want, but it's what you want. So here's what I want. If there's any way possible to go with my plan, let's, let's do that. But if it's not, I want to be super clear that as much as I don't want to do this, I want your plan over my plan. Are, are you with me? Right. So he sort of models that for us. And because of that, because Jesus is able to take this step of surrender that he wins the ultimate victory, right? And so this is the paradox 
of the spiritual life. That we, we often use surrender in a negative term, way, right? In, in, in our normal language, just surrender, we often mean to like give up or to lose. But in the spiritual life, is there's this paradox that when we surrender, we win. And so what we see is, is because he surrenders, Jesus overcomes all the powers of darkness, and he goes through the final stage of his personal transformation, we'll catch this later, we'll say this later, that gives him the capacity to save all of us. And so uh, what we're going to see today is this learning how to take this step of surrender, not my will but your will, is a critical step that every one of us has to learn how to take if we want to be transformed, and if we want to carry out God's purpose in our life. Absolutely critical. But having said that, this is a very difficult step to take. And so what I want to do is I want to ask a couple questions to help us better understand how this whole uh, step works. So there in your note sheet, the next section, there's uh, there's a section called Serving Sacrificially. Why is this so hard? So I don't know about you, uh, it's one thing to sit here and to talk theoretically like, hey, yeah, I can see this, how surrendering to God's will and not my will is a path to transformation that change it leads to the capacity to be able to carry out God's will in my life and his, his vision for my life. It's one thing to understand that theoretically, but when it comes down to making the decision, it's very hard. And the question is, why is it so hard? And what I want to do today is spend some time talking about why it's so hard that when these decisions come to your life and they're very hard, you understand the dynamic, you understand what's at play and what's at stake and how to take that step and how to move past the difficulty uh, to the victory, all right? So let's talk about this. So there in your note sheet, why is it so hard? I'm sure there's many different reasons for many different people. But I want to highlight three of the reasons why I think this step is so hard to take. The first reason is the word pain. Uh, When God calls us to take steps of surrender, significant steps, it often involves pain, doesn't it? Uh, just like Jesus, it involved pain. He was trying to avoid pain. And I don't know about you, but as human beings, we're sort of wired for comfort. Like this week in our life group, we were talking about this, and one of the, the one, uh, young women were saying that they, this is something God has been teaching her in this year, that she spends most of her life trying to avoid being uncomfortable. And she was, she was sharing that God was showing her, but it's in the times of uncomfort or discomfort she grows the most. And so she's, she's saying, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to move towards discomfort, the things that make me uncomfortable in my walk with the Lord, because th- there's where I find the growth. And so that's the way we're all wired. We, we're all wired to, to just naturally avoid pain. But what we learn, and Jesus models of this, is in the spiritual life, we have to embrace, we'd be willing to embrace short-term pain for long-term gain. So, for example, in uh, Hebrews 12, where the author is reflecting on the uh, kind of the, the Jesus' path to the cross and why he was willing to go through it, it's there in your note sheet. It says, "For the what? For the joy. Underline that. For the joy sent before him, he endured the cross and scorned the shame. For the joy. In other words, so, so Jesus." 
He, he, he looks at the pain, but he looks through the pain, beyond the pain, and he says, hey, this path to pain is going to lead to long-term gain, right? So for the joy set before him, uh, beyond the pain, he was willing to go through the pain. And so, so often in our life, when God calls us to a, a, a hard decision, to take a step of surrender, there is significant, sometimes very, very uh, great pain. And, and so therefore, we're tempted to avoid it. Uh, let me give you some examples. I want to give you some examples of surrender now that just help kind of um, help us make sure we're on the same page as we go forward throughout the message. So I'm just going to give three examples. I chose three random ones, all right? But you'll be able to extrapolate to your life. Uh, let's say that you're single, right? And so uh, you're dating someone who's not a believer. Now, uh, the Holy Spirit likely at the very start of this told you not to do this. Um, but you were very excited. Let's just, let's just go with the, the woman's side for a second here. Let's say you're a woman. You're, you're going to be dating this, this guy. And so, um, so, so the Holy Spirit told you, right, hey, this is not the right path. But you are very lonely, and he is very handsome. Uh, and on top of that, he's got a job. And, uh, and it, it's a real job. Like, it's a full-time job. It's got benefits, you know. And, uh, and he doesn't live at home. He doesn't live at home. And so uh, the temptation is just too great. And you're thinking like, hey, this is already a miracle. Um, I mean, maybe if I share Jesus with him, you know, I start like he'll come to the Lord. Now, uh, let me say this. Sometimes God works in weird ways. And even though we do dumb things, that he, he works this way, right? And, and I've known people like that. But in general, I mean, this is not the path, right? This is not where the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. It's not where he's going to call you. And, um, and so, uh, uh, as uh, and, and by the way, just a quick sidebar. If you're ever in that situation, uh, I want you to think about this because what we're really saying, what that woman is saying when, she's, when she uh, gives in that temptation, what she's really saying is that, hey, I, uh, I love Jesus and he's really important, um, but actually, I'm, I think you're more important. And so, um, how about if I date you, and then why don't you come and worship my Jesus? And like for most men, it's like, well, if I'm better than your God, why should I worship your God? It's like it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, so anyway, so, so she's now into that relationship, and her heart is unsettled, right? Her her heart, and, and this is, I can relate to you, this was part of my story growing up, you know, like these kinds of situations. So, so your heart is unsettled because even if the relationship's going well, you know it's not where you're supposed to be. Or maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe you're, you're both believers, but the other person's just not growing. They're not, they're not it's just like you're, it, you're not on the same page, and you're hungry for Jesus, and they're not. And whatever, the Holy Spirit is telling you that you need to surrender to his will and not your will. And you know this, right, that, that Jesus will never ask you to surrender. Um, he'll never ask you to surrender in any area of your life unless it's for your good. Like, you know that, right? It's not just arbitrary, right? So, so anyway, you know this, and the Holy Spirit's calling you to this, and you're fighting. And why are you fighting? Because it's very painful to be lonely. 
It's often very painful to be alone in life, and it's very painful to look to the future and see no potential hope on the horizon. No one else. And it's very lonely. And so it's painful. And so we don't want to surrender because it's painful. Let me give you another example. Uh, let's say that you're in business and you're facing a very tough situation. You've been put in a tough situation where um, there, there's sort of an integrity check. And you can either surrender to Jesus and do the thing that's full of integrity or you can compromise your integrity, and you, but you, you know if you take a stand for what is right, if you, if you stand for integrity, you know that there may be loss on the job or loss of promotion or even losing your job. And so out of the fear of that pain, we, we, it's hard to make that decision. A third example uh, for many of us uh, right now, that, that your place of work or maybe your family or your friends, if they were to know that you're a Christian and you were to stand for what is good and right and true in different areas of life, and they were to know that, that this would lead to mocking. It might lead to ostracism. There may be consequences for that. And so out of that fear of that pain, we're tempted not to surrender, right? So all I want you to catch is that, that often when God calls us to take an important step of surrender, um, there is pain involved. It's short-term pain that will lead to long-term gain, but it's out of fear of pain we don't want to say yes. That's, that's reason number one, pain. A second reason why we are often slow to uh, surrender, even though we know theoretically it's going to lead to new life, is fear. And I'm talking about a specific kind of fear. It's a fear about who God is. It's a fear that he is not wise or he is not good. That uh, he's not looking out for your best interest or he doesn't really know you and know what your best interests are. Now, this fear uh, goes back to our fallen DNA as sons and daughters of our first parents. Because if you remember, this, this takes us all the way back to the garden. You remember that when, when the enemy comes to, uh, to kind of our first mother, uh, to, to Eve, her name in Hebrew means life, right? So when he, when he comes to this kind of mother of all uh, and he makes his pitch, do you remember what he said? He said, hey, I know what God has said. I know that he said that if you eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you'll die. But that's really not true. He's not looking out for your best interest. He's guarding himself. Uh, because if you eat of that, you'll become like him. You'll, you'll, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. So, so he's really trying to keep you down. Are you with me? So this original lie was an attack upon the character and the wisdom of God. And as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, you and I, we share this DNA. We have a deep mistrust of God. Every one of us in this room, that we're born with a natural mistrust of God. Is he smart enough and is he good enough to trust him with our life? 
And so often when God asks us to surrender, and it's already super painful, this question comes up, can I trust him? Uh, Does he really know? And deep down we think, I think I know better. I, I think I do. I think this will make me happy. I think he will not make me happy. And so there's a deep mistrust that God knows the path to life and that he's really looking out for us. A third reason that that surrender is hard is because of pride. And again, as part of uh, Adam and Eve's, as this fallen race, we've inherited this spiritual DNA, and, and it's a DNA of rebellion. And every one of us has this. And we don't want anyone else to tell us what to do. We want to be the final authority in our life. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. And again, this goes back, you see, at the very first temptation, that you remember what the enemy said. He said, in the day that you'll eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will know good and evil. That's why it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will know it, and once you know it, you won't need God to tell you. You won't need God to define right and wrong. You will be able to define right and wrong. You won't need anyone else to tell you what to do. You will tell yourself what to do. And to this day, this is a core sin of the human race. We want to define our own right and wrong. We don't want to tell any, have anyone else tell us what's right or wrong. We don't want anyone else to tell us what to do. There's a core rebellion. And so when God comes and calls us, we do not want to surrender our will to his will. We want God to surrender his will to our will. And so for these three reasons, surrender for us as fallen human beings, even after we come to Jesus, is very difficult when we come to those critical crossroads in our life when everything within us wants to go right and God says go left. We're afraid of the pain, we're afraid we can't trust him, and we want to do our own thing. We don't want want to surrender control. We want to be in control of our lives. And yet, what we're seeing today is this is the critical step that we have to learn how to surrender our will to his will if we're going to be transformed become the people we're created to be like Jesus so that we can carry out God's vision, his purpose, his plan for our lives. So this leads to the next question. There are your note sheet. Serving sacrificially, how do we learn? So how do we learn? If this step is so critical and yet it's so hard, how do we learn? And the answer, if I had to sum it up in a single word, is the word obedience. But it's a particular kind of obedience. It's obedience when the stakes are high. Uh, it's It's obedience when the price is great. And the higher the price tag, the greater the transformation when we take it. So let me illustrate this from Jesus' life. You know, we talked about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is sort of a, like the classic paradigm of surrender, right? So, um, but I want to talk to you about 
uh, what happened in the garden and the impact that had not only for us in terms of our salvation, but in terms of Jesus' growth and development. Now, this is an interesting thing. We know that from theology that Jesus was perfect, right? Like, like the Bible is super clear that he never sinned. So there was never a time in his life where he's like, yeah, he's a little down on his luck right now. He's kind of fallen behind, but he'll catch up later. Like at every stage of his life, he said yes to his father. In every stage of his life, he continued. But here's what I want you to catch. That as, as God, he, of course, he was always perfect, you know, in, in his Godhead. But as a human being, he had to grow. He had to learn. He had to develop. And so as a human being, he had to learn how to obey. Now, at every stage of his life, he said yes. And so every stage of his life, he passed the test. But the greatest test and was the final test. It was a test at Gethsemane. And I want you to see here this, uh, how Jesus not only models, but shows us a path to uh, how to take this step in our own life. So it says on Hebrews 5, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, and he's going to talk about what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. And so we've talked about the blood, the sweat, the tears. It's a very intense time to the one who could save him from death. Remember what Jesus said, Father, all things with you are possible. You could save me from this. And he says, and he was heard because of his reverent submission, because he went before the Lord, and not my will, but yours, he was heard. But the catch what he says, son though he was, the son of God, son though he was, he what? What's the next two words? Okay, underline that. He learned obedience. Even Jesus had to learn obedience. He'd been learning all through his life. You know, first grade of obedience, second grade of obedience. He'd been learning all his life, but this was like the final exam. This was the last step of Jesus' growth as a human being coming under the leadership of his father. No matter what, I live for your name, your fame, your glory. And so he learned obedience from what he, what's the next word? Suffered. Suffered. And this is the point. That when do we learn obedience? When do we learn how to take the step of, 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 the step of surrender? We only learn it when there is suffering involved. When, when what God is asking you to do is for whatever reason, it's very hard for us. Maybe it's the pain, maybe it's the fear, maybe it's the pride, but this is the only way we learn to take this step. Like in other words, uh, you don't really know, like if you're, if you're at the house of some friends, you don't really know how obedient their children are until the parents ask them to do something they don't want to do. Like if you're there on Christmas morning, the mom says, okay, kids, open your presents. And they go, yes, ma'am. You don't really know a whole lot about their obedience. When they say, hey, would you take out the trash and then mow the lawn, we now learn something. Are you with me? And so, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And then catch this, once made what? Perfect. Now, what do you mean? Do you mean he was imperfect before? Well, not in the sense of that there was sin in his life, but he wasn't fully mature. The lessons weren't fully learned until he took this step. 
And once made perfect, catch this, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who what? Obey him. See, so, so God had a vision for Jesus' life. He had a purpose. But in order to achieve that, Jesus himself had to learn this lesson, had to take the step of surrender so that he could be transformed, so that he could be, provide eternal salvation for those who would obey him. And so Jesus has marked the path. This is how it works. How do you learn how to surrender? The only way you learn how to surrender is when you come to a critical crossroad in your life where you want to go right and God wants you to go left and it's painful to obey. And it's in these moments where we say, not my will, but yours. And we surrender our fears. And we surrender, we receive whatever pain. And it's at that moment that we are transformed and we're healed, and we give the Holy Spirit access to our life to change us from the inside out to we have a new passion for God's will and not our will. It's in these moments that we are transformed. You know, one of my favorite authors, I know he is for many of you too, is C.S. Lewis. And we, we know, you know, we're, he's famous today because of, you know, of course, he was author of Chronicles of Narnia, but some of you may not know, he's a famous Oxford, Cambridge uh, don. He was an agnostic, you know, from the early years of his life. Um, but he, he describes this process of surrender and how critical it is in our transformation uh, in his book called The Problem of Pain. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to read some of his more serious literature or some more kind of adult literature. It's not easy, right? It's not always easy. Um, but I, I want to walk you through this quote because I think it's so profound. Um, but it's not, not super easy, but I'll, we'll, let's walk through it. Uh, he says, there is one right act. There, you know, there's one choice. There's one right act, and he described it as the act of what? You have self-surrender. So that's the topic on the table, which cannot be willed to the height. In other words, you can't really surrender uh, by fallen creatures unless it is what? Unpleasant, unless it's painful. Now, he says, the supreme canceling of Adam's fall. So what was Adam's fall? Adam's fall was saying, not your will, my will, and all that comes out of that. So he says, the supreme canceling that, the turning back the hands of time, must be when the creature, you know, you and I, catch this, with no desire to aid it. Think of Jesus in the garden. Nothing that he wanted, there's nothing about going to the cross that was he wanted. No desire to aid it. Stripped naked to the bare willing of obedience. Embraces what is contrary to its nature, what we don't want to do. And does that for which only one motive is possible, right? To, to please the Father. And he says, such an act may be described as a test of the creature's return to God. So in those critical crossroads, when we want to go right and God says left, um, and it's very painful that it's in these moments where the only reason that we would obey is because we love him, we know him, we want him, we trust him, that, that we are transformed and we're able to return to this place where we're created to be, living for him. Um, I was thinking about, as I was putting together this message, and... Um, 
A very famous story from the life of Jesus came to mind. And it's a story that uh, I'm sure many of us are familiar with. It's actually the story we started the day with. Um, so we started the day with the story of this young man. He's grown up in a small town. Uh, he uh, is sort of the golden boy of the town. He's highly respected for his character. Um, he comes from a wealthy family. He's been very successful. And so he's, he's risen, even though he's a young eagle, kind of risen, uh, risen high in the community. He's already in a respected leadership role. Um, but on this day, he is going through a deep uh, spiritual crisis. And, uh, and so he left him as he's starting to run through the city. We don't know where he's going. And so this is a story that comes from the life of Jesus. Again, a famous story. Last week, we looked at the famous story of the Good Samaritan. This is another famous one. Um, but I think often we don't take the time to visualize, like, really what this is about. And so um, the story is told by all three of what we call the synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're, they're similar. They're called synoptics. Um, and so if you, as you piece the three stories together, you get a fuller picture of who this young man, what's going on. And so we're told that Jesus was, uh, was leaving a town or a city. Uh, it's unnamed. They, they don't mention the name. Um, and so it would appear that he's probably been teaching there, uh, doing his miracle thing that he does. And, uh, and so this, this young man is, uh, is introduced at the start of the story is running to him. And I want you to think the kind of despair or crisis that would be required for you to run after someone. And as we, the story begins to unfold, we learn even more about this young man. We, we learn that he is uh, from a very wealthy background. We, we learn that he's a man of high character. Uh, we learn that um, he loves God, that he it takes his relationship with God very seriously. But he's obviously deeply distraught because he's not only runs to find Jesus, but when he gets there, he falls on his knees. And so something, something's going on. And my hunch, I can't prove this, but my hunch is, is that, that what's happened is he's always thought of himself as having a great relationship with God. And that one day when the kingdom of God comes that the prophets of Israel prophesied, he'll be, he'll be in the kingdom because he honors Torah. He, he follows Torah. He takes his relationship with God seriously. He's lived a life of high character. But there's something about the teaching of Jesus that he's heard the last couple days about the kingdom and what it means to be in the kingdom that's been deeply disturbing and unsettling. And it's led to a spiritual crisis in his life. He's not really sure that he is going to be in the kingdom. And so he runs after Jesus, falls on his knees, and this is the question he asks. He says, uh, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, we need to take off our 21st century lenses, put on first century lenses. For a first century Jew, that question is not, tell me how to accept Jesus in my heart so I can go to heaven when I die. For a first century Jew, it's how do I participate in the life of the coming age? When the kingdom comes, you've been talking about the kingdom, I want to be part of that kingdom here on earth. And, and how do I participate in that life of the coming age? In the Greek, it doesn't say eternal life. It says the life of the ages. 
And so uh, what, what I love, one of the things I love about this story is in Mark's gospel, he says something very unusual. You can read through all the gospels, hardly ever said. But it says, Jesus looked at this man and he, this young man, and says he loved him. His heart goes out to this young man. He, he, he sees through him. He sees into him. He sees his heart for God. He sees his desire, his honesty. He sees his desperation. He sees the way he's humbled himself as a, as a city leader running through the streets to catch up with Jesus. He sees all of that and catches because he loves him. He puts his finger on the one issue that he knows this young man needs to surrender if he's going to follow Jesus. And he gives him some very, uh, a very stark instructions. And he says, there's one thing you lack. You need to go and liquidate all your resources. You need to sell your mutual funds. You need to get your broker to deal your, uh, your lands. You need to cancel your Roth IRAs. And then you need to come and you travel with me. Walk with me. Very high ask. And if you know this story, this young man, as desperate as he is, that price is just too high. Have you ever been in a store and you're really, your eyes caught by something and you go like, oh, you want to get that and you turn the price tag over? And you're like, uh. You start doing the math. You start thinking, how could I put on my credit card? Like, no, those are maxed out. That's why I need that Dave Ramsey course. Uh, and you walk away sad, right? And that's exactly what happened. He wanted Jesus. He wanted the kingdom. But the price was too high. And we're told he walked away sad. And what's interesting is Jesus does not go after him. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, just kidding, I'll give you a 50% deal. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus knows that sooner or later, this man, if he follows him without dealing with this issue, he'll stop following. And so... It's a critical crossroads for this man's life. His whole future hangs in the balance based on what he decides, and he makes the wrong decision. But you know, we all face these moments, don't we? And they're critical crossroads. And, and for, for some, it may be one thing, and for some, another. For, for some of us, it is finances. Right? We, it's the one thing we don't want to surrender to God's leadership. For others, it's relational issues. I talked about dating earlier or sexual identity issues or sexual morality issues. For others, it's, it's relational issues like it's a forgiveness issue. For others, it's a priority issue. It's an integrity issue. Um, it's a career issue. It's a persecution issue. We all have different issues. But the point is that we come to these critical crossroads. And what I want you to catch is without learning to take this step of surrender in these critical moments, we can never be transformed. 
and therefore we can never carry out our purpose. So catch this, it's impossible to discover and to carry out God's purpose for your life when deep down you're still living for your own purpose in life. Remember Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't discover God's purpose when deep down you're living for your purpose. And you know, my experience over the years is for many Christ followers or we're self-proclaimed, we've never really taken this step of surrender or absolute surrender to Jesus. We're much like that rich young man who we love Jesus, we're captivated by Jesus, we'll even run after Jesus. But at those critical moments where Jesus says, this is your step, we turn and walk away sad. So we hover around Jesus and we can never figure out why does my Christian life not work? Why do others seem to have a closeness with Christ that I don't experience? Why do others, why is the word speak alive to him? Why do others seem to be led by the Holy Spirit? Why can others sense the presence of God? But I never can. Like, what's wrong with me? And we've never put it together that just running after Jesus and loving the word and keeping the commandments and surrendering to Jesus are two different things. And it's this step of surrender that opens the door to our future. Amen? And so here's the question. The last question then, there on your note sheet, serving sacrificially, the ultimate question. So the question I have for you today is very simple. Is it, will you take this step? We've seen the rich young ruler. We've seen how it works. We've seen how Jesus models it. We've seen how it's, it's so easy to get close to Jesus and get close to taking that step but never taking it. And the question is, will you take that step? And in my hunch is for some of us in this room that we know we need to take that step. And even as I describe it right now, you know exactly what the step is. That you, you know, you, it's like... Jesus has been showing you or he's shown you before or you remember back in time when there was a step and you said no. Like for some of us, we know. For others of us here, we don't know. We, we were like, we want to be willing, but we don't even know what that step is. But what's important is that we go to Jesus and we have this conversation and we simply ask him if there's anything in my life that's keeping me from following you, would you show me? And then would you give me the grace to say yes, to trust you, to do what I can't do in myself, just to surrender that area and to give you permission to change my heart so that I love you more than anything else. And so that my passion in life really is, like Jesus, to live for your pleasure, not mine. I love what Rick Warren says in our Purpose Driven Life. We're using it in our small groups. He says, the act of personal surrender, it's called many different things. And he's right. Consecration, 
making Jesus your Lord, taking up your cross, dying to self, yielding the Spirit. But what matters is that you do it, not what you call it. God wants your life, all of it. 95% is not enough. That's the story of the young man we just read about, we just talked about. And I love what he says next. He says, it's time to settle this issue. Who are you going to live for, yourself or God? God is inviting you to live for his glory by fulfilling the purposes he made you for. It's really the only way to live. And he's so right because this, as we learned last week, is the path to joy. It's the path to life. It's the path to human flourishing because this is what you and I were created and designed for. We were created to live for his glory. And as long as we are living for our own purpose and glory, we are swimming upstream. And that we will never discover who we are created to be. We'll never enter into the joy we were created to have, the meaning, the purpose. We'll never carry out the vision or purpose of God for our lives while we're living for our purpose, our fame, and our glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Well, Father, as we come today to the end of this third foundational week where we lay a foundation for a life, living a life of love that leads to a life of service, we come to this important step of surrender. And Father, you know how hard this is for us, how it's hard because of pain, our fear of pain. It's hard because of our fear of you, that we don't trust you. And it's hard because of our, our rebellious pride, that we don't want to surrender. We want to be the boss of our lives. And yet, Lord, as, as Jesus is illustrated, it's a path to life, it's a path to freedom, it's a path to fulfillment, and it's a path to our future. And so, Father, we pray that as we go into this time of communion, as we worship you for what you've done, as we receive the gift of your body, your blood, as we, we sing this song of surrender, we pray that you would, you would call us home, Father, that we would not be like this young man we understand so, so well. We can relate to him, but we would not be like him who stops short of taking that final step of surrendering this one thing that held him back from, from being part of your kingdom. And we pray that we would say yes to you, and you would give us the grace of your Holy Spirit to trust you. You would move us in ways that we can't move ourselves, and perhaps in ways we can't even begin to over understand. By the power of your Spirit, we would say yes and that we would become those who obey you and receive that eternal salvation to those that you provide, as your word says, for those who obey you. We pray you'd meet us now in Jesus' name. Amen.